Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Philacrosophy Podcast. I am pleased to introduce Albany head coach Scott Marr in his 19th season. Uh, he has developed the Albany Great Danes program into one of the powerhouse programs, and he's done it in a really awesome way, and I cannot wait to talk to you, Scotty. Uh, welcome to the show, and how's it going? Hey, Jamie. Yeah, man, doing great. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's really cool to be able to do these podcasts with so many uh, great coaches and great guys. And it's fun, too, because we kind of go way back to uh, the, our assistant days. I remember sitting uh, at Hofstra before uh, Delaware played Yale in what was my very first game I ever coached. And it was yeah. probably – might have been your first game that you coached, too, as a college coach. It was my first game. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely. Yeah, we, we – uh, you guys spanked us pretty good, if I recall. We <laughs> had this freshman named Eric Zelko. Yeah, it scored five goals that game. And yeah, he had thirty-five. I think he had like thirty-five goals or something in his first seven games. Got a wow. stress fracture in his femur, and then never played lacrosse again. He was from Ithaca, and he joined the Zen House at Yale, and uh, that was it. Never saw him again. I mean, the kid could have been an all-time great. <laughs> Kinda of heartbreaking for us, I gotta say. <laughs> The Philacrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. Um, first of all, I, I'm also really excited to um, come visit campus on, what is it, the 28th of January on my uh, Amazing adventure uh, through lacrosse programs. Uh, cannot wait to come watch you guys practice. When do you actually kick it off? When do you start practicing? Uh, we start on the, the 16th, actually. We bring the team back, and uh, our school actually owns a, a campsite in the Adirondacks. Oh, cool. I'm not sure the actual actual acreage, but it's a, it's a huge campsite. Um, so we have, they have cabins and, and uh, everything up there. So we have two 25-person cabins. So we put the team, we split the team up and put them in there. And then the coaching staff and, and wait staff and everybody that comes with us extra. We have a, an eight-person cabin that we stay in. Uh, we're there for two days. Um, no cell service. Uh, you know, we have to heat the houses by uh, the cabins by fire, but the fireplace, so the guys have to cut wood and, and, uh, and, and whatnot. And they have a, an outdoor ice rink that uh, we play broom ball on, which is awesome. Uh, you know, but, you know, it's just one of those things, that, again, no cell phones. So it's all communication, all team building. They play cards. They play ping pong. Uh, we go for two hikes on the, on the two days that we're there. We go for a four-mile hike, and then we go for a, probably about a two-mile hike uh, on the first day when we first get there. So, you know, just, just a really good team bonding. It's a great way to start the season. Um, we have a nice team uh, meeting the first night we're there. But, you know, the, the seniors take over and they do all the cooking and, and uh, getting all the food prepared for everybody. We bring all of our own food. Um, so it's a really neat little way to kind of start the season. Um, and then we come back on the, on the 18th and we'll start practice officially on the 19th. 
Um, and then we go about a week, and we, we're right at uh, we're at Rutgers on the 26th. Yep. Uh, you're visiting town on the 28th, so you'll be there on the Monday after our first scrimmage. So you'll you'll get a chance to see uh, us kind of make some corrections, watch some film, you know, go out on the practice field and, and make some adjustments to how we played on on that Saturday against Rutgers, and then prepare ourselves to play against uh, Colgate in the scrimmage that following week. Awesome, man. Well, I can't wait. And that your team building exercise up at the campsite. Um, you are so lucky to have a facility like that just to be able to go up and do that, huh? Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it really is. Last year was the first year we had actually done it. Um, so it's it's something that the kids are already – they've been looking forward to all year already, uh, you know, to get up there again. And, and again, you know, you talk about the Adirondacks. They got snow up there. Like I said, the, the really cool thing is that is that ice rink they have. And we play this broom ball. And uh, last year, Connor Filipowski was the best broomball player that I've ever seen because it was the only time I've ever seen broomball. But this kid was scoring goals uh, left and right. It was just unbelievable. But uh, just like, you know, again, we had teams. We had a tournament. We had a yeah. ping-pong tournament. Uh, you know, I so said during the day, then we go for our hikes and we get to get out in nature and kind of, you know, just uh, get a good hike in and, and, and let the guys see something different. than yeah. you know, some guys, we got a couple guys from California, Florida. They've never seen snow and – you know, and, uh, and that kind of atmosphere, you know, a lot of guys on our team have never really gone hiking, which is surprising, you know. So, uh, you know, it's just, a, again, a good good time for our team to really get together. A lot of communication, like I said, a lot of talking. The cell phones don't work, which is great. So uh, just gives us an opportunity to be kind of, you know, kind of kind of be like a throwback like we were, you know. When we, yeah. when, we were, when we were players, you know, we, Jamie, we were on the bus. We used to talk to each other. And, you know, we didn't have TVs on our buses and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And nobody had – you know, we had uh, Walkmans maybe, you know, maybe, maybe somebody had a Walkman, but that was yeah. about it, you know. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a totally different age uh, with these guys. So to drop the phones is, I think, is probably the most important thing for us. Yeah, it's, uh, it allows you to be present, you know, which is like, it is hard to do with all the distractions. Technology is awesome, but, you know, you're right. Yeah. Um, so um, awesome stuff, Scotty. Um, I'd like to start off, actually, and just um, – talk a little bit about your journey as a player and a coach, because I think a lot of people would like to know kind of where you came from and what that means is, you know, how really, you know, I know you grew up in Yorktown and, you know, um, I, I would love to hear about the farm. I'd love to hear about the people that you looked up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a real believer in, in sort of these older models of coaching and teaching that were more Sandlot oriented and pass it down oriented and, and then maybe t- take us through the Hopkins days and into your coaching career. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm very, very fortunate, Jamie, you know, to grow up, like you said, in Yorktown, uh, you know, very storied history. Um, There's still a very relevant program in in high school across today. Um, You know, I started playing, I was actually a baseball player until about sixth grade. Uh, I got cut from from the Babe Ruth team. uh, Thank God. In the summer, I know, in the summer of my sixth grade year. And I went right from being cut from baseball to, uh, to lacrosse practice, actually, for our, for our youth league, our YAC program. And, um, you know, that was, that was really the start of it. I, I started playing lacrosse that year, kind of with baseball at the same time. And, and uh, you know, as, as I was playing with my stick every day and being out there, like, you know, and, and, and the energy of lacrosse in Yorktown was, was so great. You know, you were really just automatically attracted to playing it. Um, I just happened to grow up in a baseball family. My dad was a baseball guy, so... Um, but we, we held on to that dream for, for a little bit, but, uh, you know, you say getting cut from the, from the big diamond was, uh, was a, was a good thing for me. Um, but you know, again, just that tradition, you know, when I was, uh, in sixth grade going into seventh grade, you know, that next year, you know, Yorktown started, you know, was our first run at a, at a state championship. Uh, we lose to Henniger. 
And then we go on to play West Genesee four times in a row. But, you know, I grew up watching Robbie Hoynes uh, played at Army. Billy Rabbit played at Army. Timmy Nelson played at Syracuse. Scott Nelson played at NC State. Tommy Nelson, Syracuse. Ed Trabolsi, uh Rutgers. Rob Betchley, Army. Um, you know, Peter Allen, the guys just ahead of me, you know, Syracuse. Uh, you know, just, just the, the, the amount of guys that we were putting into Division One at that time was just incredible. And, and not only were we just putting them in, but they were also becoming All-Americans in college. So you really did have a lot of those guys to look up to. Um, oh, yeah. You know, one, of my, one of my first coaches was, was J.D. Calaruso's dad, Joe. Oh, yeah. Uh, Joe was about six years older than me, so he was my youth coach when he was uh, playing on the varsity team. Uh, Joe was a great goaltender. Frankie Fusco, his son, uh, plays. Frankie plays for, for Syracuse now. Uh, was one of my coaches as well. Frank was a two-time All-American in, in high school for us as well. Um, so, again, just the, the tradition of Yorktown lacrosse, again, starting with Mr. Murph, uh, this guy, Charlie Murphy, who started lacrosse in Westchester basically in 1964 or so uh, with, with Jim Turnbull. Um, and I, I think, you know, again, the, the, the best part about playing for Yorktown, and, and again, I can go back now and talk to guys from the 60s like they were my classmates, you know, and we kind of all had that same common thread of lacrosse and, uh, and that brotherhood of being on the team and, and playing lacrosse. Um, but we also played the game at a really fun and exciting high level of lacrosse. Um, I was taught at Yorktown, you know, create the two-on-one, pick up the ball and move it, um, you know, push the ball when you can you know, take care of transition when you get it, you know, those types of things. So I was taught at an early age to play the game at a fast pace. And, and people ask me a lot now where I get my style from. And, and really it comes from, from my youth days and, and playing at Yorktown High School. And, um, you know, again, we, we, we try to do everything we could not to play six on six, you know, to play as much, uh, you know, again, transition. And, and again, you know, you know this, Jamie, playing back then too, the ball's on the ground a lot more because of the sticks and the technology that is different than it is today. Um, so again, just that, that whole idea of, of setting your team up, setting the players on the field up when the ball hit the ground and when you picked it up and how you moved it, you know, and how you take advantage of moving the ball quicker than a defense can recover. You know, I learned that stuff at an early age. So, you know, again, had, had a really fun career at Yorktown, uh, lost in the state championship myself or in the state semifinals my junior and senior year, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, overall, great experience doing that. Um, you know, again, going out of high school, very, very fortunate to get uh, recruited by Johns Hopkins. Uh, Bill Tierney was actually my coach my freshman year. Uh, coach Tierney saw me play in the Empire State Games and, um, you know, recruited me out, out of there. And, and uh, you know, I gave me an opportunity to go to Hopkins. And, and for me at that time, you know, Hopkins and it was Hopkins and Syracuse, you know, 83, 84, 85 championships. Yep. You know, it was right in my freshman, sophomore, junior year in high school, uh, you know, going into 86, my senior year, you know, to have an opportunity to go play at, at, at arguably the best school at that time, you know, that between them and Syracuse, um, you know, it was, it was a dream come true. So, you know, great opportunity there, but a completely different style of lacrosse. Um, you know, when I got to Hopkins, we had graduated a, a, a number of guys um, in the midfield especially that were very, very athletic, where we turned into a little bit less of an athletic team when I got there um, in, in the midfield. So we slowed the game down a bit, you know, and we also changed coaches. You know, when Coach Zimmerman took over for, for Henry Ciccaroni and, and Coach Chick was all about pushing the ball and playing fast whereas Coach Zim was a lot more controlled, 
um, and a lot more about valuing the ball, you know, and, and, and being careful with possession. So the one thing I did learn from playing from Coach Zim was, was your X's and O's, the discipline of having the ball and valuing the ball, um, and then the discipline of, of, of playing and, and running your routes almost the right way, you say routes or, or your offense the right way. Um, you know, that was something that, again, I was more free-flowing in high school, and I learned a little bit more of the discipline part of the game, you know, as a, as a, as a player at Hopkins. Um, unbelievable experience to win a national championship my freshman year, yeah. uh, you know, and, and we beat Cornell in the, in the finals in, in 87. You know, we go on to lose to Syracuse in 89 my junior year. Uh, you know, again, just, just playing and, and competing at that level. And, and, again, you know, as you know, too, Jim, back when we played, I think 26 schools only playing, playing lacrosse at that time. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't a ton of schools playing. Um, so it was a really small fraternity. Again, you and I knew each other back in college. And, and, and there's so many of the people that we know today obviously come from that time from when we were in college and it was such a small community for lacrosse now it's obviously grown a lot you know larger than it, than it was then um but it was such a unique sport back then you know it was so much fun to be a part of that kind of that little niche that lacrosse was at that at that time and again you're either from the baltimore area or, or new york or you know yourself obviously coming from a little bit of a, an outlier in in rhode island and you know then you had your philly guys and a couple of jersey guys here or there but you know, for the most part, it was really a, a Northeast sport, you know, and, uh, and, that, and that was neat. You know, and again, all the friends that we've developed over the years uh, just through the game itself. And I think that's probably the most important part of the game. Uh, and I think most sports can will try to say that, but I think the camaraderie that we have in lacrosse is, is second to none, you know, and, and, and how we've, again, grown up together and know each other and, and how a small group in, in the back in the 70s and 80s have, have now, you know, really helped this game get to another level is, is really unique. So, and now uh, we all got kids in college and we're still all <laughs> friends and uh, it's, uh, it's all pretty fun to yeah. be around every, every couple of years, you know, like last year at the, uh, down at the Hopkins uh, Carolina game with you, yep. Denny and all hanging out. Uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, Absolutely. Absolutely. you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I just, I couldn't have been any more fortunate to grow up the way I did yeah. where I played, you know, the two programs I played for in high school and college. So, uh, you know, it was, awesome. it was really, really unique experience. So before we move on to the coaching piece, I want you to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off a, na a few names of players that, mm -hmm. were, that were like some of my idols and probably yours too. And I'll, I just want to hear your opinion on like what you learned from them, you know, not too long. Cause I want to go through a bunch of, but maybe just a few thoughts of like what, what comes to mind and what you learned. So I'm going to start off with Tim Nelson. He was uh, one of my heroes. Yeah, Timmy's uh, his vision, um, you know, his ability to post up at the, at the five and five, you know, and, and then his vision uh, to get rid of the ball. He was an unbelievable scorer, but he actually was a better assist guy than, than he was. And he could he could do both. So he was just uh, he was such a big presence on the field, you know. And you know, Never feeds and behind the back feeds. That's where I first saw that. Exactly, absolutely. And he was he was good at making a, just a, you know not a deep pocket, you know, but he'd be over right shoulder, left shoulder. Uh, you know, pretty easily, and, and uh, just again, tremendous vision. Uh, he had he had great size to him too. Timmy was a big kid. Yeah, uh, that ability to get up to that five and five, and you know, you see those classic pictures with him and Dito, you know, up at up at the island, yeah. you know, with him, you know, almost like he's sitting in a chair. So, no uh, Timmy, Timmy was awesome. Uh, how about Del Dressel? That guy, I actually modeled my game around Del Dressel. I thought he was like he was just such an athletic player. A little unconventional on the way he played, but I loved it. 
I think I think the reason why Hopkins uh, was so successful with Dell was was his ability to make the little plays. Yes. You know, he would dive for a ground ball and goose it to a teammate, you know, in a crucial part of the game. Or uh, he'd get back in the hole and play defense, you know, yeah. or he'd come up with a huge ground ball. You know, he had some great stats, but I think it was all the little intangibles that Dell did really, really well. He was he was a complete player, offense, defense, you know, yeah. wing up, face off, you know, yeah. uh, man guy, you know. So he was he was just, I think, you know, as, as well-rounded as anybody. Totally. Pop, he popped a little feed off the ground ball. Such a great, great vision, but yeah. yeah. Oh, how about Brian Wood? Uh, Woody's, uh, Woody was my idol, you know. I was very fortunate. I had, I had an opportunity to play with him uh, when I was a freshman, you know, his senior year. Um, <clears throat> you know, I you just, you know, always remember from Woody was that shot. I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. The, the <laughs> shot, you know, I mean, the guy could righty-lefty, righty-lefty on the run. Uh, my freshman year, it was funny, I, I hung out with Matty Palin uh, two nights ago. He left our, our basketball game here. We went out afterwards and and we were talking about our freshman year. Our first game was in the Dome, 15-14, yep. uh, uh, 17,000, 18,000 people. Uh, and, and Brian Wood and, and Todd Curry both had five goals. Um, you know, but, but Brian, on the run, righty, lefty, you were just, I mean, just in amazement every day to watch that. So it was, uh, it was, really, it was really fun to play with him. And I was, my freshman year, actually, they moved Brian to midfield. And then I started in his spot. So I got to start for about five or six games in the middle of the season my freshman year while he was playing midfield. And then he got tired of running up and down and he wanted to go back to attack. So I, so I went back to the bench. So, <laughs> uh, What was it like practicing against Petro every day? Uh, it was tough, man. Dave, Dave was a competitor. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and Dave uh, – you know, he did not. He did not like to lose. It didn't matter, if, you know, in practice, whatever it was. He was, uh, he was tough, man. He beat the crap out of you. Think about it too. Back then, you were allowed to back check, you know, so you yeah. throw back check and get hit in the back or in the back of the neck, you know. Um, he would throw a back slap, then a then a neck slap, and you know, he'd be, you know, just just really beating the beating the tar out of you pretty much uh, every day. But uh, you know, pretty he pretty much had a choice of like going lefty and getting stripped or going righty and getting the crap beat out of you. Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> was funny. I played him in high school when I was a, I was a junior, and uh, he, I'm on the end line, and he, and he I ran about five feet. He he just did a little little like can opener, put the ball on the ground. He stopped. He let me pick it back up. I picked it up. I ran about five more feet. He took it away from me again, and he picked it up and ran down the other end. And I was <laughs> Jesus. That is just so legendary when you hear stories like that. Yeah. Uh, thank you for those uh, for those thoughts. Um, let's go, let's turn it to the uh, coaching. Like, you, you know, was Delaware Delaware was your first coaching gig, or did you have an assistant job somewhere before that? Delaware was it. You know, I was uh, I was I was primed to get a job right out of college, and I decided it's not what I wanted to do with my life. I really wanted to coach my pretty much my whole career. I knew I wanted to be a coach. Uh, I had a girlfriend that wanted me to be a be a, a businessman, and it just wasn't for me. You know, so I, I we, we broke up, and I left, and I went up to Empire State Games, and to watch my brother David play. And uh, my father had met Bob Schoenlaw. And uh, <clears throat> my dad kind of forced me to go over to talk to him and said, you know, just go let him know that you want to coach. And and uh, he said he was looking for a coach. So go, you know, let him know you want to get into the game. And sure enough, I went over and talked to Shills and with my dad. And, uh, you know, a week later, I was down at Delaware interviewing with Shills and, and got the job. So I was uh, I was pumped. Yeah, I mean, for, you know, to get right into Division One, you know, to get in a spot like Delaware, you know, Delaware at that time, too, had been, you know, had been in the playoffs a couple times in the, in the middle 80s there. It was a good program. And, and Coach Schillinglaw was, uh, was, was awesome, you know, for me and, and for my growth, you know. And, 
one of the funniest human beings I've, I've ever met. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely sure. We laughed a lot in a lot in the, uh, in the office for sure. But, uh, also, also gave me a lot of, a lot of opportunity to free wheel and to, and to figure some stuff out and, and to be my own person and to kind of develop my own style, uh, you know, along with him. A lot of the time it was really just me and him, uh, talking offense and, and uh, like I said, he, he really gave me the opportunity to to experiment, you know, hey, run this, try this, do that. And and he never said no, you know, and I think that's important as a as a head coach now when I bring in young guys is that I give them that opportunity, you know, to speak their mind and, and have an opinion or to have a, a different way of doing things than you're doing it. You know, and, and some some guys aren't like that, you know, some right. some so Shills really gave me that opportunity to to, to grow and, and, and to get better. And and we did from my first year there to my last year, I was there three years. And uh, in my last year, we were, we were number 12 in the country. We were, we were a goal away from going to the playoffs um, in, in my last year there in, 90, in 94. And, uh, you know, it was uh, <clears throat> just, just an overall great experience. You know, Delaware's really it's a great place. I met my wife. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't be married today if it wasn't for, for Tina Chilling-Law, Bob's, Bob's wife. Uh, she kind of talked me into in, asking my wife to marry me. So uh, yeah. she – she was going to head off and, and, and coach herself uh, in volleyball and get a GA spot at Bucknell. And Tina's like, Scott, you got to ask her to marry you. She, she won't leave if you ask her to marry you. And I was like, Tina, we've only been dating for five months. <laughs> <laughs> that is a quick turnaround. Well, I remember, honestly, like, you know, she was when – we, when we, you know, hung out before the game, Yale versus 1992, Yale, Delaware, mm -hmm. um, you were with your future wife a little bit. Yep. Yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. Uh, got, we got engaged in Bermuda. We played Rutgers in Bermuda. She came to Bermuda, and we got engaged in Bermuda. So that was uh, that was pretty wild. But just a, just a great experience. I mean, look at you know again all uh, Delaware, you know Ryan Kelly, Brad Glowacki, Anthony Demarzo, Thomas Stanziali, M. V. Whitlow, um, you know Jamie Blaylock in the goal, Johnny Wonder. Uh, you know, some really, some really good guys that I'm still in touch, in touch with today and, and, and see them, you know, quite often and regularly at games and whatnot. And they email me and whatnot and stuff like that. So just a good, good, group, good group of guys, you know? Yeah. Well, then you got the opportunity to go coach for big man. Um, yeah. Can't wait to hear about that. But like, what an amazing era of lacrosse that was for the University of Maryland. I mean, you guys you know, didn't quite come 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 away with a championship, but you know, it had to have been as good of an experience as you could possibly have with those guys. How they competed, how good you were, what a great team it was, how tough you were. Um, so I'd love to hear about how you got there and what you learned, and you know, the great memories and and what Big Man was like as a mentor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Jamie, when you. You never know how things are going to work out, you know. So I interviewed for Maryland. I, the job was opening, um, and I actually came in second. Uh, Chris Kolbeck was offered the job before me. Um, and right at that time, Chris Kolbeck took the job. Coach Adele called me and said, Scott, I'm sorry. You know, we offered it to Chris. And a day later, John Hawes went from Hopkins to Washington College. Petro went from Loyola to Hopkins. And Chris Kolbeck went back to Loyola and took Petro's spot, his alma mater. And the Maryland spot opened up two days later. And uh, Coach Adele called me. Coach Adele called me back, you know, and at first I was like, no way, I'm not going, I'm, you know, pick me second, you know, type of thing. And uh, my wife was like, you got to think about this. She's like, this is the opportunity you were looking for, yeah. uh, you know, so it doesn't matter how you got it, you still got it and you can still prove yourself. And, and uh, so, so we obviously, we took the job and, uh, and moved down to Maryland. And, and it's funny because, uh, you know, Coach Adele was really my first lacrosse experience other than, like I said, I got cut from baseball. 
But two weeks later in that same summer, uh, I went to West Point lacrosse camp when Coach Adele was coaching in Army. And, and Coach Adele was, uh, you know, again, I'm sixth grade, I'm five foot five maybe. You know, and you go up and you meet this guy, and he's six foot five, 270 pounds or whatever he was at the time. Um, and just an intimidating, you know, really intimidating person, you know, and the, the big the nickname Big Man for a reason. Yeah. Uh, one of his other nicknames was the Ogre. <laughs> <laughs> his army guys, that's what they call him, you know, Ogre's, Ogre's Army. So, um, you know, Big Man was, is, you know, obviously to me is, is uh, other than my father, probably the, the most influential, you know, male, you know, figure, role model that I had in my life, um, you know, and the opportunity to go, uh, and coach with him after, you know, again, going through camps, you know, West Point and Yorktown had a really neat connection when he was there between yeah. Big Man and, 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 uh, and, and uh, Mr. Murphy and then all the players from Yorktown, you know, Rob Bessie, Mike, you know, Mike Hoynes, Robbie Hoynes, uh, Tommy Hickman, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, there's a couple other guys in there. Oh, yeah. You know, went on and played uh, Dennis Lambert. Uh, you know, Dennis was captain, I think, in 77, 78 for him. So, you know, we had, a, we had a really cool connection. So West Point Lacrosse is where I really grew up watching lacrosse and, and, and watching Division One lacrosse. I mean, I was there in 1981 when they beat Hopkins, you know, 12-11 in overtime. You know, long pole comes down and the, and the C's part for this kid. And he comes down and, and he sticks the game winner with a long pole and Army beats Hopkins 12-11, you know. Um, so, so Army lacrosse and Coach Adele had really been part of my entire lacrosse life. Wow. Uh, you know, then my best friend, Billy Ralph, went and played for, for uh, Coach Adele at Maryland. And obviously I went to Hopkins. And, and obviously when we would play each other, I would talk to Coach after games or before the games and stuff. So had a really close connection with him even before I got to coach with him. Um, you know, and then I had the opportunity, like I said, to coach with him. And it was like, wow, you, now you really see why they're so successful, why he was so successful at Army, why he's been so successful at Maryland. Now, they'd struggled the first the two years before I got there, um, but that was really the only two years where they really had a, had a tough time. They were seven and six, I believe, the two years before I got there. Um, but the, the, the emotion that he puts into the, to the, to the kids, you know, to, the, to practice, to you know, going out to dinner, you know, just being around him. And he was such a player's coach, man. Those, those kids would run through a wall for Coach Adele. And, um, you know, because he cared about him. You know, he really did care about him. And he really wanted him to do well. And he, and he treated every one of them like it was his own kid. Uh, you know, and, and that was, again, like as time went on, you really got to see – who he was in the hallways, right. not down in the dungeons, walking through the, walking through the, the Cole field house, saying hi to the janitor, stopping and talking to the ticket guy, you know, stopping and talking to, uh, you know, the janitors or, or an assistant coach on another team or whatever. He treated every person the same way. Yeah. You know, there was no difference between, you know, uh, you know, our athletic director or, or, you know, Gary Williams and, and the assistant, uh, you know, the last assistant on the football team or, or, or on the, or on the soccer team or something like that. You know, he was always the same. He always wanted to listen and he always, he kind of always gave you feedback to what you were saying. So he, he was, he was truly engaged in your conversation regardless of who you were and I think for me I've always been that kind of person and when I saw that though and I saw that how that really works in your favor in your overall program because the more positive that you can get around your program the more positive it's going to be 
you know, so, you know, he really, he really exemplified that positive attitude and that, and that positive, you know, um, um, you know, ideals that, that, that we could do this if we all stuck together and we all just went down and worked, you know, and gave a hundred percent effort to what we were doing. Um, and we had some tremendous players. Like I said, we had some tough kids, you know, he preached toughness. Obviously he was, he was as tough as it was. And again, coach Slavkowski, coach Slav was an unbelievable defensive coach. And then I coached the offense and then big man really just coached the team, you know, and, and, uh, and he, he was that true head coach of being able to motivate the players to do what Coach Loff and I asked them to do. And uh, we really, it was a really great chemistry between the three of us over the six years. You know, like you're saying, we, you know, three national championship games, you know, we beat some unbelievable teams, unbelievable games. Uh, probably my favorite game ever that I've ever participated in um, as a coach. Uh, 18, 17, 1997 semifinals against Syracuse. We win, um, and it was just, a, I mean, up and down, run and gun. To beat Syracuse at their style, you know, in the mid-'90s when they were – when the game was really fast. You know, in the mid-'90s, you know, other than maybe Princeton kind of slowing it down a little bit, you know, everybody else was still playing the game pretty fast. So um, that was probably the highlight of my, my Maryland time was that, that semifinal win against uh, – against Syracuse in that 97 game. It's awesome. So, uh, as you probably remember, Peter Hillgartner, one yeah. of the players, was my assistant at Denver yep. for my first three years. And, and I knew Andy, in, you know, before I knew Peter. And I remember watching Peter during those final fours. And then, I, and then he was my assistant. And he told me all the Maryland stories. So, you know, I mean, you know, I, I, I met a lot of the guys along the way. I heard the stories. I know all the names. Um, and he talked so – adoringly about big men and it was just amazing how much these guys loved them and that's just like you know that in and of itself is so special forget about how much success he had but they absolutely loved the guy but one story he told me that about was the Hopkins game in 95 when you guys lost yeah and he told me that after the game you guys were in the handshake lines and the guys were like so fired up because they like all of a sudden even though they lost they knew that they were like going to be the better team and he was just telling me how they were just like going through the lines like crazy like crazy men all fired up for the fact that yeah we just lost this game but we're going to have these guys and uh, do you remember that at all is that ring a bell and absolutely absolutely you could you could when it was almost the best thing that could have happened to us at that time was that we lost that game yeah. Um, but just in general, though, Jamie, that team, that 95 team, Rob Chomo, senior. Yep. Our captains was um, Greg Nealon and Dan Radebaugh. And when I, got to, when I got to school, the first thing I did was, in the first couple of days, is I, Dan and, and, uh, and Greg were our captains. I said, let's go out and get some lunch and just kind of talk. And we sat down and I said, so what do you guys think? You know, what are your goals? What do you guys want to accomplish this year? You know, where do, where do we want to be, you know, come end of the season? And they said, we're going to win a national championship. And I looked at it, and I kind of almost was taken back. I was like, okay, I go, that's a great goal, and that's what you sh your goal should be at, at the University of Maryland. I said, but you guys have been seven and six the last two years. I said, what's, what's going to change? He goes, we have the right players. He goes, we just, haven't, we just haven't been focused enough, you know, and as leaders that we're going to make sure. I go, okay, so you're telling me as, as a captain that you're going to make sure that we're doing everything right in practice and we're working hard and, and guys are going to toe the line. Absolutely. Well, Dan Radebaugh, well, Greg, Greg's nickname was the steel worker. That's what Coach, Coach Shadell's nickname for him was. But Radar's, Radar was one tough son of a gun. So we're in practice one day, 
And I don't, I think it was in the fall and we're in a huddle and coach is talking and you have all of a sudden you hear a couple of voices kind of talking, you know, on the side. And the next thing you hear is, ah, and freaking you look over and radar had slashed somebody in the back, I forget who it was, slashed him in the back of the legs because they were talking during when coach was talking. And it was like, I looked at that and I was like, well, you know what? You know, there's, there's a the leadership that he was talking about. And you could, you could kind of feel it with that team. Like I said, we went into the fall. We had a really good fall. And then coming into the springtime, you know, it, it just kept building and building. And, uh, you know, we had young guys in Andrew Whipple and, and Matt Hahn and, and uh, Billy Rule and Bobby Hanna. And, you know, we had a lot of freshmen that played, you know, but then we had some good, some good solid experience. And obviously we had Doc in the goal. Right. So it was just, it was just unbelievable. But Peter, Peter ended up being what I call now my foreman. Peter was my original foreman. So he was an attackman that came in and we played him, you know, coming out of the box, uh, you know, as, as a midfielder, you know, and, and, uh, and, he, and he played offense and then he ran off the field and, and scored. And Pete, you know, Pete had three goals in that Hopkins game in that, se- in that semifinal game when we beat him yeah. 16. He had huge Final Fours, it seemed like, every year. It's like, who is this guy? You know, you heard of Han, you heard of Whipple, and all of a sudden Hilgie's in there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's a great memory. Yeah, it was, it, it, those, like I said, those, you know, you, you can't beat, uh, even though we didn't win, like you said, but you couldn't have asked for any better. I mean, in a, in a span of that I was there, you know, to go to three national championship games, to have that opportunity. Uh, but it does mean we won a first-round game, a quarterfinal game, a semifinal game in all those years. And we obviously beat some pretty good teams along the way. So it was, uh, you know, it was tough to come up short in, in those games. But uh, certainly we lost to some pretty good teams, Princeton twice and, yeah. you know, in Syracuse. So. Princeton was a little bit of a buzzsaw back then. I mean, honestly, you probably could have won the championship in almost any other year than 98, you know? Yeah, I agree. The Philocrosophy podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 video assessment tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son must utilize video to learn his game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com. So um, let, let's uh, switch gears here for a, a minute. And, um, and you know, now, you know, you're, you're at Albany and you clearly play this fast-breaking type of play. But I want to actually focus on what your offensive philosophy is. Um, and um, I, I think people would love to, to hear about how you develop your players and, and how you develop an offense. And it seems like, you know, that it really did start back in the, the Hahn and Whipple era mm-hmm. and, and Hilgi being your foreman and yeah. you play this sort of goal line dodging, you know, what, what I might call one for one. I think you call it deuces. Uh, it doesn't really matter. It's all kind of the same. And mm-hmm. um, it's continued, you know, consistently since 1995, it seems like um, I'm mm-hmm. sure it's evolved, but uh, tell us and share your thoughts on that on, you know, every, 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 anything you feel like. Yeah, like, like you said, um, if you go back to my, my days in high school, my overall philosophy is to push the ball. You know, we want to try to create, create as many uh, three-on-twos, four-on-threes, you know, five-on-fours as we can and take advantage of, of, uh, of having that odd man rush. And, and that, that's basically the premise of it all, um, you know, is, is, is making that happen. So especially when I got to Albany, the first thing I started doing when I got here, everything I did, all of our line drills, nothing was the traditional line drill. Everything was up north and south. 
you know, from goal line to goal line. So we're working on catching and throwing, running up the field, you know, and, and getting that, uh, you know, that concept down of I'm ahead of you, head man the ball, boom, you know, next guy, get it down, two on one, put it in the goal. Um, we still do a drill today just called a 15-second drill where we pick up the ball in the defensive end, we roll it somewhere, and you got to get it up and up the field and score within 15 seconds. Um, so, again, just that idea of pushing the ball and just trying to create, you know, that fast break offense if you can um, in, that, in that type of a mentality. And then when you get into the six-on-six six stuff, I've never – I've never been a big fan of the midfielders dodging from, from out top. I've never been a big umbrella guy. Um, I've never really, you know, we get into our deuces type looks where we get guys to dodge from out top, but it only comes after the ball comes from behind. I've always been an attack driven offense. Um, you know, I, I love my attackmen to be able to dodge and go to the goal. Uh, you know, but then, you know, when you talk about Hilgi and being that foreman, you know, you say it's we call it a four dodge. And our four dodge is anywhere from the goal line to what we call the half board. We go by hockey terms. We call it a half board. We call the restraining line the blue line, the midfield line, the red line, and then the blue line the other side. So the half board is about 10 yards up for us, and we dodge from anywhere from the half board down to the goal line and, and take that angle. I've always felt that that angle, for some reason, is a, is a really tough angle for – defenses to play um, yep. because of where the ball is, where he can dodge to, he can go underneath, he can go up top, he can take top side. Um, you know, so defenders are really positioning wise, you can really play to what they're doing. So if I'm getting overplayed to, to take away the top side, well, I'm going to go underneath you then. You know, if I'm getting overplayed underneath, well, then I'm going to go top side. And there's so many options that we have off of each one, you know, that, <clears throat> that just kind of, it's really difficult to stop. And, and, you know, it's like, like you said, we've been, I've been running this since 95. Right. And this is, you know, now we're talking, what is it, 2019. So, I mean, you know, it's been a long time, but it's really difficult to stop. And then you couple that with, you know, uh, a Luke Aquino and then a Frank Reseteritz and Merrick Thompson, Brian Caulfield, Joe Reseteritz, Corey Small, um, Lyle Thompson, Miles Thompson, Ty Thompson, Connor Fields, Jacob Patterson now, the Hogan Anacoke now. Um, you know, I've been very blessed to have uh, guys who can carry the ball as attackmen. So when you have attackmen that are great carriers, you know, and then you're asking short sticks now to be the guys sliding to you um, off of midfielders, and now you have midfielders who can step down and shoot like Timmy Cox, uh, Sean Eccles, um, you know, Kyle McClancy, you know, those types of guys. So we have kind of a system of it's, it's really not that complicated. It's about where you dodge and then the four guys that are really off the ball that aren't involved in the, in the, in the two-man game with the ball, those four guys are just getting to certain areas, you know, and once that slide comes, you know, we're moving at one or two passes, you know, ready to step down and shoot. We do a lot of step-down shooting as our midfielders, if, you, if you've noticed, yep. not a lot of shooting on the run. You know, guys like Kyle McClancy was very good at shooting on the run. You know, step-down type shooters. You know, get Sean Eccles. I think Sean Eccles is probably one of the best shooters in the game today. You know, most of his goals come from him just kind of finding an area, you know, being able to catch and step into a shot. So, and again, I think that's a product of the fact that we develop our attackmen to become ball carriers and to become creators, you know, and where we're dodging and where we're dodging from to make that creation happen. Again, I think a lot, we, we, we garner a lot of slides because that angle we're taking makes defenses nervous. 
Yeah, he's so awesome. cool. You know, he's so, and now with the dive being in back in, wow, we can really scare some defenses. If I get underneath you now, I can dive across. So I'm gonna, I think we'll create even more slides dodging from that from that half board to, to goal line area. So that's kind of that that's kind of our philosophy. Again, I don't think anybody, you know, I, I took some stuff obviously from from different people growing up and and and, and whatnot, but it, it's not that complicated. It doesn't have to be a change every year. Now you might change a little bit due to your personnel. Yep. You know, um, so this year we're looking at a little bit more too. We got some more box like guys, so we're gonna maybe do a little more two man game stuff. And you know, and and again with each coach that comes in, you know, I was the offensive coordinator here till till 2011, and then I brought in Eric Wolf, and then Eric took over, and he had some ideas, and I let him change. You know, he changed the way we cut, and you know where the ball was going to the backside, and you know a couple different things there. And then I bring in Merrick Thompson, and Merrick is the Canadian influence. And now we're doing some two-man game stuff on the wings and then two-man game stuff on the goal line. And, you know, so we've kind of evolved that way too, but still kind of sticking within that premise of we're dodging from that half board and down. Yeah. And it's really cool too because I, I, what I notice is there's just a great balance. I mean, so many teams are just like get it to the shorties, try to initiate dodges. And, 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 and certainly you guys, you know, dodge good matchups with shorties and you dodge those angles, which are hard. You know, yeah. the defense, you know, the player doesn't know, really know where they are. It's kind of hard to slide because you don't know, you know, between angles and stuff, it's hard to know exactly where to slide to. So you're oftentimes a little bit later, a little bit early. Um, mm -hmm. But I also have noticed over the years just how great your players generally are both on ball and off ball. I mean, Connor Fields was an unbelievable off ball player before he became a great on ball player. And mm -hmm. obviously, Miles Thompson might be no more for an off ball player, but that guy can dodge. Yeah. Uh, thinking back to Han, he was like an unbelievable, you know, Russ Terrets and, and, uh, uh, and uh, Merrick, those guys, those guys were unbelievable off the ball players. And you guys kind of had this, un this amazing dynamic of two guys inside and sharing the ball. So how do you sort of get that balance of, you know, yeah, giving the green light to your attack to dodge, but also getting these guys to buy into, hey, I can score a lot of goals off the ball too, particularly in these double crease situations. Yeah, and again, I think you play into you're, you're playing into the strengths of some guys and what you're doing. And just just quick to go back to the whole not dodging the short sticks all the time. Um, I go back and, and I, I watch a lot of uh, now Loyola stuff, but uh, back when Mark Van was at Virginia, you know, taking those two short sticks now and putting them inside. Okay. Yeah, and you're dodging your and you're dodging your long poles. And now you're, you're getting, you know, your slide is coming from a short stick. So now I'm, I got a short stick sliding at me. I can run right through that. So that's, again, that, that whole idea and that concept of not always dodging, you know, that, that, that short stick. Um, I think what comes from, from our guys all being good at kind of both is that all the drills that we do and everything, we don't hone them into one spot. You know, everybody plays everything. And all the drills and stuff that we do, they are drills that create opportunities for you to be a shooter, you know, and to be a feeder, um, you know, uh, whether it be a COQ drill where it's just a quick up and down kind of a box drill that we do, that's kind of a shortened field, um, you know, or, or uh, some jailbreak stuff that we do where we just spread everybody out and we go to the goal quickly. You know, we do try to give everybody the responsibility of doing both, doing both type things and not trying to hone you into one particular spot. Now, you know, obviously when you have, you know, players like, um, you know, again, I go back to Luke Aquino, our first All-American. Luke was a ball carrier for us. Ball was in his stick probably more than anybody else's. Then it went to Frank. 
you know, and Frank was a, a Twarton Trophy finalist in in uh, in, in 07. Um, and then you go to, uh, you know, obviously when, when Joe got here. And then, uh, you know, look at Corey Small. Corey could carry the ball, yeah. Again, Shorstick great, was a great shooter, though. He became more of a shooter. Um, you know, Joe Resiteris is a ball carrier. So guys do tend to get the ball a little bit more because they are good at creating and, and moving the ball. Um, but we do try to get them to be, you know, to be great, you know, to be great at both, you know, if, if they have that ability. And, and most of them, you know, we've been very fortunate that most of them do. You know, obviously we had Lyle. Lyle was such an unbelievable creator, you know. He could score for sure, but he could score off his own dodge, you know, and put the ball in, but also go the goal and then feed when he gets double teamed or triple teamed and, and then get rid of the ball. So, um, again, I think you just kind of look at your strengths and, 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 and get guys into certain spots. But, you know, then, like I said, just try to develop them more through your drills and all the kind of the offense that you do play and put them in different, in different spots. One of the things that I noticed when I watch you guys play is um, how you really spread the field laterally. And when you dodge these angles and you throw it to X when a slide goes, that it's not just going to the backside, but oftentimes you're reversing it right back to where the dodge came from. And that's where some of your guys step down from. Uh, and uh, is that happening naturally? Is that, you know, kind of a combination of finding seams or is that, you know, the idea of spreading the field laterally like that and reversing it to the follow? Is that a big part of what you do? Or? Yeah, that's by design. Um, you know, again, you know, in the, and they give that guy at X that, that leeway to, to pick which side he wants to go to, yeah. you know, how his defense is coming at him, which side of the goal is coming at him. If he comes, you know, on the backside to him, he can take that ball and go back into where the ball came from. If he comes from the ball side, then he takes it and goes the other way and looks backside. But that Dodger who dodges and moves that ball to X, we make sure that he throws it, though, and he steps down right, right outside the crease, maybe a yard or so, to give the guy at X that opportunity now to hit a guy at the half board. Yeah. So basically, look at our offense. When that thing goes there, we'll have the two guys inside. One will cut, one will pop, and the other two middies out top both go down to the half boards. And we're, almost, we're almost like in a, in a, in a four across right. or a 1-3-1 you know, one, one type thing. Uh, you know, and, and, and there's your option. So now if that, if that defender that's covering the ball side guy goes in to help because he thinks the ball's going to the backside, then he's wide open. You know, if they, if they cover the bullet guy and they slide from the crease and now there's two in the crease, well, we just pop one back. We call it the honey hole. He pops back to there. He's open. If not, you know, again, if they come from the backside, then our backside guy could be open. So basically what we're trying to do in any one of our offenses, draw a slide and then spread the four guys out who are being played by three. Yeah. And then, and then, then you just create a step down by being in the right spots for those step downs. And you'd be amazed how many times that we watch film that we don't get to the right spot. And just, boy, if you just get there, it's an easy one. <laughs> you know? It's true. It's, it's kind of like, it's a little bit uh, counterintuitive for players to get that low on the, you know, to follow the dots. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, but it's amazing how hard it is for the defense. Cause when it goes to X, everyone starts flowing to the backside. And when you reverse it against the grain like that, you're standing there at the hashes and 10 yards, hammering a ball. And that's where your boy Eccles probably scores a few of his goals. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've just had, again, over the last probably six or seven years, some of the midfield shooters that we've had have just been, you know, tremendous. And then, again, when you have someone like Ty and Miles inside and then, you know, it, they create so much attention towards them, it, it frees those guys up so much, you know. And, and, and then we always say, boys, get one from the inside, it's going to open the outside up. Get a couple from the outside, it's going to open the inside up back up. So, you know, it's kind of like, a, you know, back, just kind of a back and forth each time yeah. that, you, that you dodge. It probably doesn't really matter that, you know, whoever's listening to this knows that you're looking to reverse it to the follow because <laughs> if they cover that, there's something else that's going to be open. 
Exactly. I say, I mean, you get, all you got to do is watch his play for the last yeah. 20 years. Like I said, yeah. it's all pretty much the same thing. It's just yeah. a matter of – it really just comes down to execution. If the boys can execute what you're asking them to do and get to those spots, you, you, know, you know, eight or nine out of ten times, you're going to have a really good look at the goal. You know, so um, you've had so many of these players. I mean, you've got some of the all-time greats that have played for you. Mm-hmm. and you're a coach and you're a mentor and you've studied this game and you're, you know, as cutting edge as anybody on the planet. But when you get a, a guy like Lyle or Miles Thompson, how, tell me some of the things that you learned from them, you know, that you could then, you know, that you could say, I can actually take some of this stuff and apply it for, and teach other players. Because some of the stuff they do, you might say, all right, only they could do it. I, I think a lot of the stuff that they do, if other people thought that way, they, they may be able to do some of those things. And I've kind of studied these guys, and I have my own opinions, but I'd be really curious to hear, you know, what you've learned from them and how you can apply that. Well, I think the thought, the thought process is, is probably the biggest thing, and I think it's, it's not always easy to teach someone to get to the right spots. You know what I mean? I think their, their intuition and their, just their knowledge of the game, uh, you know, their lax IQ, if you want to call it, you know, is just is so high you know, that they just know where to be. Um, and, and then just their, their ability to, uh, to be that, that creative side of them, not, not creative in a sense of uh, behind the back, but like just a creative of going underneath or, you know, getting a, a face out cheer or, um, you know, they just, they just were, were so. Everything. It was, yeah, it was, they were so good at it, you know, and, then, and they were, but they were also so accurate in everything they did. Lyle's passes were right on target, you know what I mean? Right in your stick. You know, tape to tape type passes. Miles is a shooting percentage is off the charts. You know what I mean? But I think probably the most important thing that I learned from him is patience. It's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen. Just keep giving me the ball. We're going to make it happen. You know, and, and, and to really focus on the next play. You know, I've always been that kind of a thought process guy. I've always been a positive person. But when I started to coach those guys, the, um, the, the true nature of, of, of the game, of how it's supposed to be played and, and how you're supposed to attack it really came through and how prepared they were and how serious they were when they put the helmet on and they went out to play. And the look in their eye every time they played, and they played with a purpose. You know, we say that all the time to our guys, you know, to play with a purpose. They always had a purpose in what they were doing. You know, and but at the, at the end of the day, and, and, and trust me, they got beat up more than anybody that I've ever coached. Um, Lyle got the snot hit out of him, I don't know how many times, never said a word, never said a word, never talked to a referee, never said anything to a, an opposing player, nothing. Just played the game, and at the end of the day, when it was over, it was over accept the outcome, and then you move on. And I think, you know, again, it, and it's, not, it's not that they didn't care about winning or losing, but it was just they were in the moment. You know, they, you play and you coach in the moment. You, you coach in the two hours, and at the end of the day, at the end of the two hours, you have to accept what you did. If you're, if you're putting in 100% effort and a positive attitude, then you have to accept what happens at the end of the game, and then you move on. So I think that's probably one of the most important things that I learned from those guys. You know, again, I think it's hard to emulate what they do, but look, look what you see kids doing now. Milo invented that shot coming around the goal. We called the day Haas dunk, you know, and kids are doing that all the time now. You know? Yeah, that's what I mean. There's a lot of stuff that they do that people can do. And, and Hoka does a lot of these things too. My, my, I have a question. 
you know, um, how these guys um, are, you know, particularly Lyle and Miles, the most creative, really, some of the most creative players we've ever seen mm. and the smartest players we've ever seen. And they've got a repertoire of things that they do that is just literally unmatched. I mean, they literally do so many things. And you know, you know that it's both a little bit of free-flowing, like they might do something that they haven't really done that often. But I think a lot of the time they actually kind of have done it and they just are actually looking for these different fakes. I mean, faking to me has a big difference between good and great. Um, and Lyle would just have everybody on a string. How did they learn how to do this? How do they learn how to play this way? I, again, I think it's just, it's in their, it's in their blood, you know, and I think growing up and, and, and playing in their backyard, uh, you know, with Jerome, you know, they're watching them and teaching them. Uh, but the four of them together with Jeremy and, and Heine and, and, uh, and Miles and Lyle, you know, just the creativity stuff they do in the backyard and just having fun and, uh, you know, again, and learning those moves and, you know, what to do. And I, I think it just comes from, honestly, from, from their backyard, you know, and I, I don't think they had to be on a youth team to do it or whatever. And they started playing when they got a little bit older, you know, but they spent most of their younger days, you know, really just playing at home, you know, and being in the backyard and being creative and, and trying new things and, and, and whatnot. So, um, you know, I think that, that, that comes from it, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, when you talk about special players like that, you know, you talk about a Paul Gate and a Gary Gate and, and a Dave Petramala, you know, there's something, there's something a little bit different about their mentality, uh, you know, than, than, than the rest of us, you know, and, and, and they, those guys had that, you know, they had that it factor, you know, and, uh, and I think one of the things, you know, really, really comes across when you're in the locker room with those guys um, you know, especially in, in 2013, when we go in to play Syracuse in the, in, in the Dome, Lyle's sophomore year, Miles, Miles and Ty's junior year, um, the look in their eyes before that game, like, you knew we were going to win. Like, you, there was something special about what he was about to do and, and where we were going to go with this, you know what I mean? Again, he was an attack of a midfield of the year before. Didn't really play a ton, didn't have you know, 30 points his freshman year. Um, but, boy, he grew up in that freshman year. And then once he hit that sophomore year, it was just, uh, you know, it was, it was fun to watch, man. Like I said, I, I would almost catch myself some days just kind of just staring. <laughs> and, you know, just staring and watching him. It just, again, just his mannerisms in the locker room and, and, and again, and how he prepared and, and how, how intense he was taping his stick before the game, you know, and, and, uh, and, how, they, and how they got themselves ready to play um, every, every game. You know, it was, it was the same. It didn't matter, if, you know, Syracuse, it was, you know, every game they had the same, they had the same prep work. And they're, the mentally, um, I, think they're, I think their mental toughness is probably, you know, one of their greatest assets. I'm sure. Well, the, the, the whole idea of backyard lacrosse, and really I think there must have been a lot of, you know, you, you, his, their dad taught him a lot. Uh, I would imagine a lot of the older guys that they played with in their pickup games taught them a lot. It's more of a pass it down yeah. model of coaching, and it's a lot of just playing. And I, you know, I, I'm a student of this. As you know, we're both students of this game and, and lucky to be a part of it. And I, I literally love to watch great players. I love to see what they do. I love to figure out. How, you know, what it is they're doing, why it works, and then maybe how you teach it. And I think that that's great. But I think in the end, what, what I've come to realize is that you're probably better off learning it as opposed to being taught it 
by doing it. And I don't, th I don't think there's a better place to do that than in the backyard, than, the, than to get a small net and play with a tennis ball and get with four, six, or eight, or however many yeah. boys and girls, men, women, doesn't really matter. And you just play this game and all of a sudden, because you, if you look, you know, while Lyle Thompson might be the greatest player ever, there are a ton of native players that sort of play that same game and they grow up in all different, you know, reservations and they, and they play very similarly in the sense of their creativity, their hands, their vision, their teamwork, their, 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 almost everything they do. And I, and I, I really do believe there's something to the way that they're developing. Whereas our culture now, our youth sports culture now is oh. pretty much hand the development, give the keys to the car, to the sports organization and and then let let them develop your kid instead yeah. of letting the game do it in the backyard or in the street absolutely I, I couldn't agree more with you jamie i mean uh you know me personally you know just like you i had a goal in my backyard you know uh you know and i i taught myself how to shoot overhand and to shoot underhand and by my back or whatever the case may be but i spent a lot of my time in my first probably you know all the way through high school of shooting around we go to mr murph's house and, and mr murph had four or five goals in his backyard and and we would shoot around there and, and again it's all just you know um it's that non-structure that you, yeah. you learn from you've almost even better than than you would being in that structure sometimes and again yeah. i think a lot of times unfortunately in our sports today in these youth reads you know they start to focus on that one or two kids that are really good on that team and they kind of push everything towards them and they're not developing the other kids quite as much just because they're kind of focused on, well, Johnny's really good and we're going to give him the ball the whole time, you know? Um, so I couldn't agree more, man. I, th I think being in the backyard is, is probably the best thing that could, that could be. And, you know, again, I, I can't say, you know, enough how fortunate I am to not only be a part of the Iroquois national team this past summer, you know, to, to coach the Hoga um, and Lyle and Miles and Ty again and, and uh, you know, Jeremy and Heine and, and, and all those guys that were on that team, you know, Randy Stats and Austin Stats. And, oh. I mean, it, it was phenomenal. Tyson Bomberry, you know, Brendan Bomberry. We had an absolute blast, you know, uh, watching. And, again, you know, those guys are, you know, at the, at the top of their game. And we, we barely even practiced you know, with that team. We had one practice before we played the U.S. team, and we were up at halftime. I mean, it was like, you know, just just think if we actually put a, a lot of time into them, you know, and, and it's hard to do that stuff with those teams and yeah. guys all over the place and stuff. But it was, uh, it was an unbelievable experience to be around around the game, around yeah. what the game really means. And you saw, you know, in, in ceremonies that we did before games and, and just being around them and, and uh, you know, and just kind of feeling their culture a little bit more than, than what I do here. So it was, uh, it was awesome. Right before the World Games, I did a podcast with Red Burnham. And yeah. uh, we were talking about this same topic of, you know, the development model, so to speak. It's not really a model, but it's the way it happens you know, for the, for all the, all these native players, and that there are about fifteen. We came up. We talked to Darius Kilgore and and uh, and Red, and, and came up with a number that they kind of put together. That there are about fifteen hundred uh, lacrosse players, Iroquois lacrosse players. Okay, yeah. that's how many there are in Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> and on a on a per on a on a per capita basis, huh. look at the players that are coming out of whatever you want to call it. This model of development of backyard lacrosse. It's like everybody – I'm not saying you shouldn't play structured lacrosse. It's great. It's great yeah. for you. But, don't, but, but you can't learn the same stuff that these guys are learning, and it's obvious because they all, they all have this, this level of IQ and skill and passion and joy 
that is just unmatched. And so anyways, it's just super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we, we talked about that as well when we were, you know, in our hotel room at night, you know, just the, you know, we had 40 or 48 guys try out for the team, you know, whereas U.S. had, you know, to choose from a couple thousand and, and uh, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, Canada, same, same thing, you know, the, num the numbers they have are just, you know, it's just, you know, off the charts compared to what we have and, and, the, and the, what we're producing to be able to compete with those guys. I mean, you know, we really could have beaten Canada in the first game. The, you know, uh, Wardo has 20, 24 saves. Yeah. <laughs> four goals. The guy's got 24 saves. I mean, we could have, you know, this was one of those nights, you know, we couldn't put the ball past him, but we played really well and we, we, we had every opportunity in the world. It just, uh, you know, that guy had an unbelievable game in the net. So um, the fact that, that, that they are competing, you know, at that level with such a, in a sense, a disadvantage numbers-wise is just it's yeah, I don't know. To me, it's just uh, it's a joy to watch, um, and just frankly to study. Um, all right, switching gears. Tell me what a uh, an Albany practice is like. Uh, it depends on the day, obviously, but uh, our typical practice, um, you know, we usually start out with a with a drill we call scrapping, and it's a it's a ground ball drill where we kind of semicircle around, uh, basically like where you would put the two point arc, um, yep. you know, in, in the in the, in the in the MLL league there. Um, yep. And, you know, it's a three against two ground ball. There's three, you get three balls uh, and then we roll them out and the kids and they, the, the team's on the outside on that arc and they have to stay within the arc. The guys on the outside can hit the ball back in. Um, it's just a good, really tight drill. You know, obviously it's, it's physical. It's, uh, you know, the ground ball part of it is, is, uh, is tough. Um, so, you know, if, you, if the defense gets it out and gets it out of the circle, you know, that's a point for them. Offense scores point for them. We play to play for a certain time. And at the end, whoever has most points, uh, losing team does a little running. Um, like live yeah. boards. What's that? It's like having, it's like having live boards. Yeah. Boards yeah. that are around that are actually people. Exactly. Board. Exactly. Um, you know, then then probably like a, like an OD split, you know, do a little shooting. Uh, probably spend 10, 12 minutes with shooting. Defense will go down their end, do some uh, some footwork, some stick drills on their own, uh, maybe do some sliding drills, uh, stuff like that. Uh, and then probably from there go to a, to a transition-type drill, um, <coughs> you know, where we uh, you know, we have a couple different uh, add-one-type drills and, and whatnot. So, uh, you know, then from there maybe a little bit of half-field stuff, you know, uh, maybe a little full-field scrimmage or full-field um, what we call like a riding clearance scrimmage where we don't face off or we just take the ball out of the goal if we score. Um, you know, most, most of our stuff, again, up and down the field, you know, we don't do a ton of, of half field six on six type work. Um, we don't normally get that in. Obviously this year is a lot different with the new rules. So we're really trying to get adjusted to playing the shot clock and understanding uh, our clearing game, getting out of, uh, of our own zone in the 20 seconds. Um, so that's been a big part of our fall was, was really working on the clearing game. Uh, you know, but again, most, most of it's up-tempo, you know, we, we have all kinds of different, you know, like, like most do, uh, transition type drills, uh, add one type drills, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, we try to keep practice going, you know, try to keep it going, especially early in the season when it's a little chillier out, you know, we don't like to stand around too much. Um, so, you know, just to, we try to keep it fun. You know, we got music playing, uh, through most of it, unless we're doing some teaching and some talking, um, you know, we'll, we'll turn the music down. But for the most part, we're doing our drills and we're running up and down the field, get some music in there, and the kids have fun doing that. And, again, we're always promoting fun and positive and uh, next play type mentality. We don't harp on mistakes. 
Um, we certainly talk and correct mistakes, but we don't harp on them. We don't, you know, uh, there's never a time in practice where somebody's getting yelled at for dropping a ball or making the wrong play or, uh, you know, those types of things. You know, we really try to make it about um, making sure that everybody's putting in 100% effort, you know, and, and playing with a positive attitude and then, and then moving on to the next play, whatever, whatever happens on the previous one doesn't matter. How much man on man down do you guys do? Uh, again, depends on the week and where we are in the season. You know, I think, I think when you're talking about early in the season, when you're trying to get all that kind of stuff established, especially this year going in, we're going to have some new guys on man up. So we'll probably do a little bit more uh, of that. You know, I think when you look at anything, you know, we probably do, uh, you know, the longest we would do anything would be about 15 minutes, you know, uh, at a time. Yeah. Uh, if, we're, if we're not feeling great about our man up, we might do it two or three, three times during the week as opposed to maybe one or two. Right. Uh, you know, it depends. You know, we've been fortunate the last couple of years with our skill level uh, that our man up team has been almost together for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, but this year will be a little bit different. Like I said, we have some different personnel and, and, and uh, you know, obviously losing Connor and losing – uh, Justin Ray and Kama Clancy. So we, we lost three seniors from our from our man up team last year. So we'll, we'll have to kind of find the right mix again, you know, going this year. What uh, you have a pretty distinct philosophy on what you like to do on six on six. What, what's your man up philosophy? Uh, you know, man up. I think I'm I'm uh, I'm big on on kind of maybe going from one set to another. Nothing too crazy. Not a lot of movement. Uh, more about spacing. Um, you know, we have a couple different sets that we look at. I like the I like the open sets where you're three, you know, uh, sideways three three, yeah. um, and our regular three three type type looks as well. Um, you know, maybe a little bit of a rotation with a couple guys on one side, but not not a ton. You know, I think I think with that extra man, to me, the biggest thing is 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 making sure our hands are free and making sure that we're getting ourselves to you know to, to the right spots and 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 not crowding each other so so one guy can play too. All right, last question. If, uh, if a player out there would love to play lacrosse at the University of Albany, you know, what, what kind of players are you looking for? What's your advice in, in this recruiting process of the kind of players you're looking for and, and how you actually go out and find them? Well, you know, I think I've mentioned it probably three or four times. Uh, you know, I'm a big attitude and effort guy. That's, a, that's something that we talk about every day is that control of that, uh, you know, being positive and, and, and really putting in a hundred percent effort, you know, and I think when we do our homework, when we talk to coaches about high school players and stuff that are interested in us, um, you know, some of the things we like to hear uh, from their coaches is that they're a positive teammate, you know, and they're not, they're not somebody that's out there uh, degrading or getting down on people, um, you know, but also a kid who puts in, like I said, a hundred percent effort every time he steps on the field. So kids who control their controllables the right way, you know, uh, those are those are guys that we're looking for. Obviously, you know, athletics and you know, being an athlete and 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 uh, you know, um, scoring and shooting all that kind of stuff. You know, those are those are easy to, things to see. I think it's the intangibles that you really try to try to get out of uh, out of kids. And, and like I said, when we you know, we really try to do our homework when we do recruit kids uh, and talk to their high school coaches and then their club coaches and and find out what kind of a what kind of work ethic they have and what kind of a teammate they are. And, and again, I think. If you've looked at our teams, and you've, you've mentioned this throughout the, the podcast, and I think part of the reason why we've been so successful, we don't, we are not getting necessarily an overall. You know, we're not. You know, we haven't been in a top five recruiting class. You know, since I've been here. You know, have we had number one recruits yet? Dehoga, you know, Lyle Fields, he's right up there. I think he was three or four. Um, you know, but we take players that are maybe B to B plus players. And because of how we communicate with each other, how we, 
uh, how hard we work off the field and then on the field together as a unit, we become an A, an a unit, you know, and we can compete with Maryland, Syracuse, Yales, and all those guys, you know, over the, over the years because it's, it's, it's an attitude and it's a, it's, a, it's a positive attitude and it's 100% effort out of everybody. And it's not just that, that, that superstar that carries us. It's the guy who's last on the bench, who's on the bench cheering during the games, but during practice, he's busting his butt, you know, to help our team get better. And I think, you know, we've, we, like I said, we've taken a lot of B-type players and made them into B-plus A-type players over the course of their four years. I mean, nobody heard of Kyle McClancy when he came out of high school. You know, I thought Kyle McClancy was the best midfielder in the country last year. Two-way midfielder, hands down. I mean, you know, 42 points, uh, offense, defense, wings on faceoffs. I mean, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we you know, we, we kind of just, we kind of grind it out, you know. We, and we get kids to believe in themselves and to be positive with themselves, you know, and, and have that confidence to go on the field and, and they can play with, uh, with anybody. Sounds like an amazing uh, environment to play in. And uh, coming off – what was your first uh, birth into the Final Four and a great season with the unfortunate injury to Connor Fields, but yeah. what a tough effort he put in. I wish you the best of luck in 2019. It's a brand new year. It's lacrosse season. I can't wait to see you uh, in a couple of weeks. Thanks for yeah. coming on the podcast, and we'll be in touch. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it, man. Always good to talk to you, pal. Thanks, Scotty. Talk to you later. All right, see you. The Phil Lacrosse Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com.